0: Trying to do something more beautiful. In this episode of the Iowa Idea Podcast, I'm joined by James Tutson. James is a singer-songwriter from Iowa City. His style is a combination of Southern soul and rhythm and blues. He's recorded four studio albums, two solo, and two with his band, James Tutson and the Rollback. When he's not performing, he spends time with his wife, Stephanie, and their two kids, at and Haven and serving local youth through the nonprofit Neighbors. His fifth studio album, Still, is scheduled for release in March of 2021. James and I dig into his journey as a musician, as well as his influences from Amos Lee to James Baldwin. We talk about the work he and Stephanie are doing with their nonprofit Neighbors. Our discussion explored some of the similarities with music and design, including being intentional, framing, and collaboration. Our conversation concludes after examining themes of creativity, foreignness, and love. A special note of thanks to Dave Gould as a friend and curator. I think this is the fourth guest of the podcast that is connected to Dave. It was an honor having James join me on the show. I thank him for sharing his time and insights, and I hope you enjoy the episode. James, thanks so much for joining me on the IO Idea Podcast. Absolute pleasure to have you here. If you don't mind, for our listeners, could you tell us a little bit about yourself?
1: Yeah, I'm James Tudson. I'm 31. I grew up here in Iowa City. I'm so a native, I'm originally originally from California, but I've been here since I was like three. I moved around a little bit. A local musician, worked for a nonprofit with my wife called Neighbors, that's new, and He's got a couple kids and just love being a part of Iowa City. So, yeah, that's a little bit about me.
0: That's great. So, just checking in from an Iowa City perspective, what high school did you go to?
1: Went to City High. I have five siblings. We all went through City High. Um, so, you know, the red and white runs strong in the family. Um, and then most of us also went to Iowa. So, right on. The, um, we still stuck around here for the most part. But now I'm the only one left besides my mom. So,
0: my daughter is a, a freshman at at City, and uh, nice. my son will be starting at Southeast uh, next year. So a lot of a lot of Little Hawk energy there. Yes,
1: yeah, sir.
0: <laughs> so why don't you tell me about your your journey? Uh, and uh, I, because I I know you as a musician, and I don't want to box you into that. But if you don't mind talking about kind of your your creative journey.
1: Yeah, you know, I, um me and my five siblings, like I said, I moved here when I was probably around three, and one of the first things that my mom did, you know, I come from a very religious family, and so one of the first things that she did was um, find a church, and so, you know, at the time, um, it was a really small church downtown, and um, me and my five siblings, well, I, I guess it was four siblings at the time we were the church choir, the whole church choir. So my mom grew up singing in church and all that sort of stuff. So kind of the traditional like sung up singing or came up singing gospel, you know, um, all through growing up. And um, yeah, so that's why I really got into singing, obviously at a really young age. Um, like I said, we went to City High. We did all the choir and show choir and all that great stuff. Um, and um, after I was kind of a senior in high school, I had some, after my junior year, I made the Allstate Choir, which was great. And I had some offers from colleges. And then senior year, I got vocal notes. Um, And so I couldn't really sing. They are like, kind of big blisters in your vocal cords. And so I went to college. I'd lost a lot of those scholarships, pretty much all of them. Um, University of Iowa decided to, like, honor theirs and try to rehab my voice to do vocal performance. That didn't last long. Um, But that's why I picked up guitar. Uh, was because I couldn't sing (laughs) and so I figured you know they got to do something with music and I just spent my freshman year of college in my dorm room playing guitar over and over again Um, and luckily through kind of some vocal therapy and you know uh, a lot of time my voice has come back Um, probably not 100% even still but um, yeah I I, that's kind of how I got into playing and singing Um, and then the writing part came because my um, one of my big mentors in my life, his name is JJ Aberhasky. He's a, a, was a local musician and I just loved watching him play. And I was like, I want to do that. Like, I want to write songs like you write songs and move people like you move people. And, um, so yeah, ever since then, it's just been this kind of practice of, you know, uh, kind of a personal practice or something that I just enjoy doing, something I can't help doing. Um, and only recently has it become you know, more of a profession and more of a, well, this is, you know, a thing that I could do for, for a living. So that's kind of
0: in brief. Thanks. Uh so who were your who would you consider some of your influences uh stylistically? Yeah, I,
1: I have a lot. Um it's kind of funny, you know, you take this long journey through all sorts of musicians, uh, just to find like who you are, <laughs> you know. I think there's a there's a that's a common thing in life, you know, you just kind of chase after i like a little bit of that and a little bit of that and um you get closer to who you are so i i think jj was a big big part of my start and he's a, a folk player um and i just really loved like some of the ways that you know picking style sounded or you know like the storytelling of folk music um gospel all-time favorite is um, stevie wonder who's not a gospel singer but a soul singer you know like soul music is um is home to me and, and when I got to college, uh, I was given a, a CD of a guy named Amos Lee, who you might have heard of, and he's kind of folk soul. So I'm like, that seems like me. So I started playing more folk soul, and um, then you stumble onto, uh, you know, and you kind of, I've always heard Bill Weather's songs, we all know Bill Weather's songs. But when you start to look into Bill Withers and see like, oh, this is a soul play, he's playing guitar, he's singing soul music, he's writing these like storytelling songs, and that becomes a big influence for me. Um, so I could just keep chasing artists, you know, Ray LaMontagne and um, a lot of these other guys out there that are, you know, John Legend even, like who, who plays more R&D style, that comes into play. So um, a lot of different artists um, have really contributed to, to my style for sure.
0: So um, recently I was able to catch you a couple times with uh, 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 Dave's life design course. How did you and Dave connect?
1: That's a really good question. I, um, I don't even remember how we connected. Um, But I think if I had to guess, I would say a lot of people have that same experience with Dave Um, because Dave Gould is a person that like, when he decides to make a connection with you, he just like does, and you're like, where did this come from? Um, <laughs> he, he just became, um, a, he was a fast friend and supporter of mine, and um, has just continually checked in on me, continually seen something in me, even when I didn't see it in myself, you know? Um, the potential of being, We um, have been connected for a long time, and he's somebody that I really have valued just as a mentor, like kind of a life mentor to sit down and and have conversations with, um, talk about what really matters in life, which is what you want to music, Um, intentionality and um, something meaningful and and connection, you know, those sort of things that um, you want in your artistry, and I think he's been instrumental in that process.
0: Oh, that's great. Thinking about, uh, music and songwriting, just, I'm kind of curious, do you have, uh, a general routine? Is there like certain time that you like to sit down and write, uh, or is it more when you're inspired or even knowing with, with kids, I know it's not as easy to be on a schedule, right? right? You're, you're on their schedule really. Right. But, uh, do you have, do you have a process that you like to follow?
1: Yeah, I mean I I think I do have sort of a process, but it also is a, a little scattered, as is my brain. Um, I'm a very like I have a lot of random thoughts and a lot of clutteredness in my head at all times, so it it's always a surprise what comes out. Um, but you know, I guess you could call this part of the process. I guess part of my process for that reason is just this voice memoise. <laughs> I looked the other day, I've been trying to delete them. I have over three thousand and I don't, you know, like I would have never guessed I had that many, but if something pops into my head, I have to get it out. And so I'll record on a voice memo and I'll go back and I'll listen. And um a lot of times that'll be like, oh, that's one part of this song, or that's a theme of the song, or something like that. Um, so voice memos are a really big part of it. I think I've noticed that um songwriting is a little bit seasonal for me. I'll I'll hit a I'll hit a time period where I just feel like music is coming to me and um, I have things to put down and and ideas are kind of flowing Um, and they sit in that voice memo pool for a long time until I have something that is compelling me you know to write about not just melodies but you know the heart of it Um, and so a lot of times I'm thinking of a full story when I think about an album I think of a concept or a full story that I want to tell and I'll start, you know, playing something on the guitar and it'll tie into a voice memo and, um, and maybe just usually one line, like one, you know, I like to get to like, I I was talking to a friend the other day and she was talking about storytelling and music. And I was saying, like, I don't know. I don't know if I am a storyteller in the same way. I'm more of a, like a photographer (laughs) in music. I like to get like the one image that I want to do. And just like everything paints that one image, um, and so anyway, um, I think they kind of just all meld together a little bit and um, become a song. And, you know, song after song kind of becomes an album and I'll listen to it over and over again. And I, I think the last thing that I kind of do is just say, like, what's missing or am I missing the mark on what I want to say? You know, and so I'll listen to a song sometimes and I'll say, like, that's not what I want to say and i have to get rid of it. Um, or I'll say like, I'm totally missing this part of the story and I have to write another song. I have a really hard time. Like, uh, in the industry today, you're, a lot of people tell you like, don't do more than an EP. Like people aren't sitting through long albums, just, you know, right. hit them with a few really good hits, you know? And I have a really hard time with that because I'm like, but if the story's not finished and <laughs> yeah. I can't stop writing songs. Um, and so, yeah, but, um, I'm trying to grow even into, like, uh, I think there is there is a good message in there of, like, even telling the story, uh, you know, the brevity is, is the soul of wit, you know, like, really getting at the heart of the story in, in um, less songs is a skill in its own. So, so, a lot of that. Um, and, uh, yeah, just a lot of, like, checking your compass as you go, like, does this song sound like me or am I trying to sound like someone else, you know? Am I trying to do more, too much Sam Cook in this or, yeah. you know, too much, you know, of those old Otis Redding or something, you know? So, yeah, that's kind of the long and short of the process. I would say.
0: Thanks. I appreciate that. I want to go back a little bit uh, to me, 3000 voice memo sounds daunting. Do you, <laughs> <clears throat> and when you're, when you're leaving the memo, is it, is it a lyric idea? Is it, is it a, a melody idea? Are you you humming, you're singing, you just like reminder to do something and all the above?
1: yeah all the above you know i i there are often and i was listening back to some of the older ones just the other day to try to start deleting them off my phone and it's often a series of four or five voice memos that are all the same song and one of them will be this like i'm humming and i'm you know beatboxing a little bit finding like the rhythm of it that sort of thing and then the next one will be this repeating line of a chorus or a you know something I really think would I would want to say in the song. Then the next one will be okay. Well, here's a harmony part that I could work with that. Or here's a you know how would that bridge go? Or whatever. And then the next one will be like okay now I've actually got my guitar and I'm trying to make this sound you know yeah. like a real song. Um, and sometimes all, you listen back to all five and you're like that was nothing. <laughs> like that wasn't a thing. You know I don't know why that was hitting me so hard that day. Um, but yeah, I, I think it's just it's little bits and pieces that get stuck in your head and and like 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 I said for me I if they're in there I can't not get them out I have to get them out of there, um and I think it's mostly it's less of a thing of like oh they stress me out and more of a thing like I'm afraid I'll lose it I'm afraid I'll think of something that's gonna be really meaningful and good and then I'll then I'll lose it and uh, I won't be able to get it back which is kind of a weird fear but. Um, I've like I've heard
0: something similar from uh, some other songwriters about their process it, to to what you're saying, though, is like the the advice is actually uh, you no know, get it down, because sometimes the thought might be, well, if it's really good and I, I like it, I'll remember it. But right. Uh, exactly. It,
1: and so I think that's really frustrating. I'm a person that can, if I did a thousand things right and one thing wrong, I'll remember the one thing for the next decade or more, you know? Um, I can still remember days when I was playing basketball. Mind you, not like, just pick up basketball. <laughs> I was <laughs> never on a basketball team. When I like did the wrong thing on a, in a pickup basketball game, I still remember like, why didn't I you know, go right there instead of, you know? Um, so I'm that type of person and so I think a lot of you know on the flip side of it's a lot again a lot of giving yourself grace um a lot of humility in terms of like um I have to be careful what I write um but also I just talked to um to a, a really impressive musician who heard me sing and he said um He said, like, you know, your high range, like your falsetto, like you can use that more. That is really good. And I said, no, like I had nodes. I, you know, I can't really do it like I used to, blah, blah, blah. And he's like, don't say you can't. He's like, go in your room and just throw a bunch of garbage out. You know what I mean? Like, try some different things. Like, you're going to sound bad nine times out of ten. But one time you're going to find something that you can use your whole career. And I think that has really shifted my mind a little bit and, and helped my perseverance even now to have this thought in my head not of like, oh, I had nodes, so here's what I can't do. But um, like kind of looking to a way forward, like how do I shift and grow in my sound that fits, you know, um, that, that fits health and fits um, the fact that I did have nodes or that I, you know, my voice still has strain. So I think you you know, it's kind of up and down, but, um, I think that's kind of the way it is with perseverance. Once you get down, you just got to start, you know, one step at a time, climb back up and then you'll get knocked down again. <laughs> um, so yeah, it's been, I, I would say it's been, there have definitely been times when I've wanted to stop or felt like, you know, maybe this isn't for me, but, um, there's always little reminders like that guy or, or somebody else or a show that goes well or something that says, you know, um, this is still your your thing. You know, this is still something that, um, there's something here left for you, you know?
0: Cool. Thank you. Uh, speaking of shows just, uh, in the middle of pandemic when yeah, thinking positively, we're on the other side of this, people can gather again. Uh, what are you most looking forward to from a, a show? Like, do you have like a dream venue, uh, that just feels good, uh, what are you looking forward to post pandemic?
1: You know, I you know I think there's locally there's so many places that just feel good to play at you know and just feels like they have you know a little part of your heart because they're part of the local scene even things like Arts Fest and England and you know just things that are like we're an arts town you know so it um, it just feels good for that to be all happening. But aside from that, I you know I think I'm just looking forward to the attitude shift <laughs> of you know I think um when you're somebody like me that is kind of trying to make this into a career and looking for opportunities and like that um kind of maintaining that hope and that um that drive that there's you know like oh the, I could play this place or this venue or go on this mini tour or whatever all that's exciting to think like about year after year like how do I want to take a next step forward and so that's I think the thing that I miss, not necessarily a specific venue or show, but more the attitude that there could be a new venue and show and tour and you know opportunity out there to play um where right now it seems like you know even if I get the call, we're not doing anything <laughs> or something like that, and so I'm just looking forward to be kind of working toward um kind of a live performance growth and, and um, playing in front of new faces and all of that. I, I mostly I'm just excited. I think everybody who's a musician is excited just to play. like give me somewhere to play and right. I'm thrilled to be there, you know so
0: Yeah, hopefully it'll be sooner rather than later. Uh, yeah, for sure. So if you don't mind too just switching gears away from music, can you tell me a little bit more too about the nonprofit work that you do?
1: Yeah. um, So my wife and I um, started a nonprofit in the middle of a pandemic. It was ill-advised and it has gone (laughs) uh, really, really well. Um, We, you know, we both, like I said, I grew up in a pretty religious household. We both have been attached to faith for a long time and even have worked for a faith-based nonprofit for a long time. Um, But it just as is like the case with many places of faith it became this place that we were just well aware of the ways it discriminated against people especially the LGBTQ community and um, our big, we work with young people and our big thing has always been we really want young people to feel cared for, safe to build relationships with mentors to feel like they have a place to be themselves and whether or not they like say, oh, I've got face or something, that's, you know, that's something else. We we just value young people for who they are, where they are, and want to to give them the best and make sure they know that they belong and they're loved. It's such a, like, a, such a, like, crucial age, right, to, to try to figure out, like, who you are and to know that you have value and so many things are, are giving you less value or, you know, there's all the comparison and competition and, identity finding is, is just difficult. So, you know, we just really felt strongly that, you know, we we always have that you can't discriminate against people and then say like, yeah, but we love you, but you're not allowed. (laughs) Um, And, and it just, (laughs) it just has not sat right with us. And so we really wanted to make something local that accomplished all the ways we wanted to show young people in our community, like, um, at their lunch, that they belong, that they um, have something to give, um, uh, but do it in a way that didn't disallow anyone from being a part of it and um, do it in a way that really fits our community and and serves our community's needs. Um, So that was a big part of it. Another big part of it was that um, the protests last summer, a lot of them were led by our former students um, who are now, you know, 19, 20, 21, and um, just had some several conversations with them of like they have the strong desire for systemic change, you know, um, for everything to change from the kind of the governmental level, which a lot of us do. Right. Um, but you you just need to be a tiny bit older to understand, like, if you're waiting around for the system to change, that may take a while. <laughs> you know, it doesn't mean you stop fighting and stop pushing and all those different things. But um, uh it can be disappointing. It can be a disappointing, um, thing to keep fighting for. Um, that said, so we keep fighting, but a lot of what we can control is like what's right in front of us, like how we actually love our neighbor who is literally our neighbor and then our community. Um, and so we wanted to have that kind of like, uh, that vision for our nonprofit as well, that we would give students belonging and show them that they're loved and then um figure out ways like you have all this passion for loving your neighbor we're gonna help you do it we're gonna have people that raise money um just to put behind you in your efforts to make this community better and see um what young people might do if they had a shot at making their community better so that's it's called neighbors and um it's been really fun it's been it's been an adventure to kind of rethink the way um we do faith, the way that we do community, the way that we do service, uh, in the, in our local context, um, and the way that we can learn and grow from just, um, standing behind young people and, and letting them lead.
0: Right on. Do you, so do you meet with, uh, with kids on a regular basis?
1: So we just officially, we, 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 um, started our nonprofit. I did quotes. Okay everyone yeah. this is a podcast you can't yeah. hear my air quotes. <laughs> we started our nonprofit in September. Um and we launched it and we about we all we've been doing is like fundraising and you know training volunteers and you know there's just a lot of obviously like work that goes into starting a business. Um so we officially launched at the end of January and we just did our official our first official Zoom meeting. Um, last night. And so, you know, we just started talking about like mental health. <laughs> That's yeah. the first con- first thing, just because, you know, we just looked at each other and we're like, what could we use right now? And <laughs> I think all of us could use a little mental health, uh, help and, and strategies. Um, and so we started that conversation last night and that was, it was a lot of fun. Um, but yeah, so that was our first meeting. We meet every other week for now. And then, um, hopefully as things get warmer and vaccines roll out, we look yeah. forward to being face-to-face one day again soon, but um, not in a rush with COVID, you know, we, the, the top priority is people's health obviously, so.
0: Yeah, that that's great. I love, I love just a lot of what you were talking about there too and just thinking about, like, sometimes if I can talk to teenagers, uh, even though I have them at home, but, you know, there's a natural <laughs> barrier to not listen when it's right. in your own house. But you know, like your teenage years, it's it's a mental war zone, right? There's so many weird. Oh, yeah, you're, sure. you're trying on different identities. You're, you you want to act a lot older than you are. You don't want to admit you need help in the areas, and you have so much to offer. And you know, it's there's so many different things going on, both positively and negatively, that are just spinning around in that that teenage mind that is also right new, uh, you know, like different. Different development things that are going on, and so right. you know, and, and the brain is still not done developing. It's yeah, just letting letting kids know that they have a lot to offer, providing safety for them, right? Too, mm-hmm. and that, like you said, right. that they belong. That's no, that's great because it's just I said I, you know, like go, going back to looking at my my teenage years and my friends. We we were a mess,
1: right? <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah, for sure. You look back and you're like, I can't believe they let us do things at all. I was gonna say yeah.
0: <laughs> somebody somebody let me get in a car, somebody let me <laughs> drive right? a car, dress yeah, myself. Sure. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah.
1: And it's this, yeah, I I've actually been thinking a lot about uh we're getting off track now, but that's okay. I, I think a lot about poverty right now. I grew up with not very much money and I've yeah. been thinking a lot about poverty and how it affects people. And one of the ways that I keep coming back to is like you just don't have that freedom to like take risk. You know what I mean? Like a risk could send you into ruin a risk. could, you know what I mean? Like you don't have like extra money to, you know, invest that sort of thing. And I'm not teenagers are impoverished, but I (laughs) what I'm saying is like they need communities so that they can take risks with who they are and the security, the fallback, the safety net of like, I know I belong. I know I'm loved. I know that this, person isn't going anywhere so i can risk being my true self i can risk trying this new thing i can risk you know because that art going to be there and so that just has really like driven us uh, in a lot of ways um over the course of the past few months for
0: sure yeah i like that and just building on that both the risk and then kind of the way i was hearing it is the ability to bring your authentic self to what yes, you're doing sure. and uh A lot of my day-to-day work is related to design and innovation and Mm -hmm. the same things you're talking about are what drives successful collaborations is the more that people feel like they can be themselves. um, Right. Which is it. And it's an interesting kind of dynamic because you have, you want to create the psychologically safe space for everybody to be themselves. But the biggest ways we learn is through growth and stretching and sometimes failure. And right. so it's like, how do you make it safe for people to be themselves, be authentic, bring their best ideas? But the, it's also the data shows that uh, diversity is directly tied to more innovative teams and the more yep. cognitively diverse people teams are, the faster they solve problems. Uh, mm-hmm. So it's really interesting too is just what are ways that we can help promote bringing your authentic self to your daily life? Cause I think, right. I think you're going to feel a lot better as an individual when you don't have mm-hmm. to like wear some type of mask or be performative because you think this is what people want. Right. Or and then when everybody can just be at ease because, Hey, this is, it's a lot easier right. when you think you're dealing with somebody's true self rather than what role are they playing? So right. yeah, it's interesting that you were talking about that. And then just digging on the uh, uh, kind of the poverty front too. It's just one thing I've been interested in from an innovation perspective is healthcare in the United States. I think yeah, I think we'd be a lot more innovative if we had universal healthcare because yeah. there are so many people that cling to jobs, uh, usually because it's a, a, a shitty healthcare benefit, but it yeah. is healthcare. Right. right, and if if that was people that hold on to jobs that they don't want to be in uh, just for healthcare, it's so disturbing. And I would, yeah, that's so I, for me, I'd love to see healthcare framed as an economic and innovation issue rather than kind of a social safety net, but, uh, right. For sure. So, yeah, d-
1: I, yeah, I think I, I just, just talking about this again, if, uh, with, um, at my church with, uh, kind of talking about, um, the state of, you know, kind of, conversations around diversity and race and that sort of thing. And what you're pointing at is like, um, I think a lot of times we are looking for policies and changes that are like survive policies and changes instead of thrive policies and changes. Like we're looking we're not looking for healthcare just so that people can survive. We're looking for it so that people can thrive. So that communities, you know, when you shift that mindset, it totally changes the trajectory of what kind of um policies you would put in place or why you would do them it's not not just so so that people can like be at the very base level of humanity (laughs) It's so that like imagine what they could do if they you know could you know actually thrive if they actually could push forward and take risks and you know contribute in the ways that they're capable so yeah you're you're dead on with that for sure
0: yeah, what you're describing there too. I've talked to folks about uh, HR policies in organizations is that they are mostly designed to to prevent negative behavior rather than right. what what what's the positive behavior and outcomes we want and and how how might we kind of foster those and uh, some friends of mine in the design community too. We've talked about if you look at like urban or civic design, even even just walking around the ped mall and the ped mall is great here but just walk around uh, a a city area and you'll notice that most of the design is to prevent behavior you don't want rather than encourage (laughs) behavior that you do want so Mm -hmm. right even iowa city spent a bunch of money and then put you know, new benches, but then they put, made sure that there were armrests in there. And that was, that that was to prevent, you know, a a homeless person from sleeping on a bench that night. Right. It wasn't, it wasn't to enable care of, of homeless folks or be more inviting. And you, you might look at small, like (laughs) preventing roller uh, uh, skateboarding and, or even like where, where you don't want pigeons to land like little spikes, but there's so many design elements are just (laughs) against rather than for. And so I've always found it as a really interesting innovation exercise. is is we just call it forness. Just talk about what you're for. Let's not talk about where you're getting, what are the things that we're for and we want to see and get people to collaborate around that.
1: And that's, you know, tying it all back together to me, it's like, that's the safe element of what we do. You know, to me, it's like, that's a totally different posture of faith. And you hear all the time, you know, it's like, what are you for? And, you know, like, and what kind of community do you want to create? Um, a friend um, who's actually one of the pastors at my church just posted a video. And there's like an old theology, East Orthodox theology that just asked the question, like, is this more beautiful or not? Like, that's how you, that's the core of the theology. Like, am I making this more beautiful? Um, and I feel like that attitude towards faith is, uh, is something that is really driving us in terms of like how we want to want that to like build people up, whether or not they say like, Oh, I'm a Christian too. It's like, it doesn't matter what you believe to be a part of neighbors. It's just, it's like the core of why we do what we do is because we're trying to do something more beautiful, you know, like right. um, in our community and, and for young people and um, looking for people that want to be part of that as well. So, and that's, uh, I think that's totally right. Like the way that we design things is is so much like, okay, what do we want to, who do we want to keep out of here? And how do we want to keep this? You know what I mean? Like, that's not making anything more beautiful in the way that we, you know what I mean? Like,
0: <laughs> right. Um,
1: so anyway, yeah, that, I think that's, that's dead on. That's yeah,
0: for sure. So I'm curious too about, uh, cause I'm a, I'm a big fan of uh, also studying teams and and teamwork so i'm i'm interested as as a musician uh and a songwriter how do you find good collaborators in in a band right to bring a live sound uh because when you're if if you're doing your stuff in a studio especially with technology now you could you could do so much on your own right you can track different things but for for live music what do you look for in uh, a good collaboration or or team
1: yeah, you know, I, um, I think maybe my answer would be different if I was selecting a bunch of, you know, random musicians just based on, you know, that. But enough that my, they're just like my goodness. friends, you know what I mean? Like we spend much time like sitting around talking about our lives as we do playing music. And to me, it comes out on stage you know what i mean like it comes out when you your relationships are strong and when you like each other and when you trust each other um and it comes out in your music because you trust that person as a collaborator because you can take criticism better same thing you know like once you have that security of like this is the place that i belong then you can take a risk here you can say like i don't think we need that and it doesn't insult you know like you as a musician where you thought you were doing something great, it's more like I have to try, like, I'm trusting this other individual who, you know, um, like you just said, diverse, diverse perspectives on a team, different ways of thinking um, help you solve that problem. And when four of the five band members are saying, you got to cut that out, then why would you say, you know, (laughs) you know, like uh, you, you just like have that trust, that uh, that core of your relationships and, and your friendship. And I think that has been, invaluable um and you know and it plays right back like in the way of like yes i trust them and then they trust me like uh, as the one who's writing the songs as the one who kind of has this like kind of the the initial vision for what this is going to look like um, they've really put their weight behind me like they'll give me their opinion but they will trust they'll trust my final decision i'll say like okay so what do you want to do and they um they've been really good at just supporting like um, my vision for songs as well. So it really plays off each other and it all comes from that relational strength that we have, that friendship that we have. Um I just think is invaluable. Um obviously doesn't hurt that they're super talented
0: too, you know. Right, <laughs> that always right, plays right.
1: into it. But um but the the relationship I think is what I value most about my
0: team. No, that's great. Uh so wanna We, we talked about your voice memos earlier, but wanted to talk a little bit too about uh, maybe uh, from a story narrative lyric perspective is uh, uh, where, where do you find inspiration? Is it all over like, or, or there? like, do you, do you go on hunts or quests to go find ideas?
1: I think, yeah, I think it, it does kind of come from everywhere. Um, I always um, talk about James Baldwin whenever I'm asked this question um, and I can't even like, I, I won't be able to quote this quote back right now, but he has a quote where he talks about how every um, storyteller has like one story that they tell. And over the course of time, they make it, you know, deeper and truer and wider and more narrow. And you know what I mean? Like all those things at the same time until they like hone in on what that story is. And it's a it's, it's stupid and broad and you know cliche but like love is that thing for me like i'm always thinking about like the intricacies of it and not even like not in a romantic way of like oh i you know i don't think i write very many any love songs but just like the way that we actively care for our neighbors like back to the love your neighbor thing. like it's all i think about <laughs> and so at different times it comes out in different ways so you know right now i am finishing up an album called still that'll come out in the spring and the whole concept of like what we've just witnessed in our country the last four years but especially in the last year has been this like uh, you know alternative uh way of treating each other alternative way of like treating the truth alternative way of um, like, I don't know. Doing uh, our, our approach to each other as citizens—that is just like clearly not love. <laughs> like we have seen the results of what it means to be more segmented, of what it means to discriminate, of what it means to um, like ostracize people groups, of what it means to say hateful rhetoric. Um, And we have pretended, or I think many people pretend over the last four years, that we don't already know the results of this. Over the course of history, we've seen it happen over and over and over again. Um, And so it just hit me in this last year, especially, um, number one, that the world stopped. (laughs) So we were quite literally still. But number two, that it's like, it's still like love. That's still going to be the thing at the end of the day. It's never going to be um discrimination it's never going to be um uh you know painting people as villains and you know banning muslims and building walls and you know those sort of things like those aren't going to ever be the things that make us better and more connected and make our lives better and so you know all that to say is like that's an example of how like for me it's like it's always going to be about love but it's a specific context so this album itself is is talking about these last four years and what I think um, are like how the ways I think we need to get back <laughs> to something that was before this or something that is um, truer and better and, and more beautiful than, than what we just experienced. Um, and, uh, and yeah, and so it's, and it's saying what I'm for, like we talked about, you know what I mean? It's yeah. not saying like, so I'm against you if you voted for Trump or whatever it is, like, it's not, a, it's not that way. It's just like, let's talk about what's more beautiful. Let's talk about what, you know, what love actually is and how we move forward now. Whether or not you voted for Trump, there's something different that has to has to shift in our country. And I think anybody can look at the last four years and say like, yeah, that was, you know, that was contentious. That was conflict. That was, you know, a difficulty for all of us. So, um, so yeah, those are the examples of life. Right. It's always going to be love. It takes a different... You know, view depending on what happens in the world around me.
0: No, I love, I love it. That's and I, I really like the way that you're playing on the word still, as well in mm-hmm. there. That that's really cool. Uh, and when you're talking about love, I wish I could practice this <laughs> myself. That I was better <laughs> at this. is oftentimes I have to tell my kids, it, it is do more what I, I say rather than what I do, but, uh, <laughs> it is, yeah. uh, I have a friend that, and I can't remember where they got the idea, but it, the belief that it, if going back to being our authentic selves and not being defensive, but it's, it's actually easier to, it's easier to smile than it is to frown. It's, it's mm-hmm. easier to love than it is to like to hold a grudge and be angry. But right. for some reason, I think collectively we've gone more down, the angry side holding grudges mm-hmm. rather than what, what is the potential. Right. And, you know, right. like, <laughs> what's the worst thing that could happen if we had a little bit more love in the world. Right. Sometimes I think, right.
1: The, yeah. Yeah. What's the worst sure. thing
0: that can happen if we have more hate in the world? Well, we see where that's going.
1: Right. But yeah, yeah, for sure. <laughs> yeah. It's a, it's, it's a human urge you know based on just like survival and fear and yeah back to survive versus thrive i think we keep hitting the same themes which is great but you know the mindset of like okay i'm doing what i can to survive means that like that's part of that is like defending against threats and so when you view people around you and the world around you it's like what's a threat to me and what's a thing i have to defend and how do i you know what do i stand against as opposed to like what do I need to like actually thrive, and what what would what would my neighbor need to actually thrive, and you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, it's a totally different mindset. So that's why I say like it's not about like whether or not you voted for Trump. I think it, you know like I have plenty of friends that voted for Trump, I, and I would say like part of that Twice? is the mentality. Twice, <laughs> I've got friends that did. That's too, the right? hard part for me where there's fr-
0: <laughs> friends or family. I'm like okay. One, maybe it was like you lost a bet or, you know, it's like... Right, right. <laughs> but you went back for a second yeah. helping. You said that mm, yeah, that but, tastes good. But, I want more of that.
1: But the the rhetoric is strong. You know, you say what you want about Trump. You know, he's good at what he does and the rhetoric is strong. And the rhetoric is protect yourself. America first, right? You know, like uh, that there are threats to protect against and you have to put us and yourself first. And I think... That resonates with all of us on a very, like, you know, um, what's the word, like, evolutionary level, right? You know, um, but you know, we're beyond that. I think. You know, that's my opinion, and that's what I tell my friends too. Is like, I'm not afraid to say, like, I think there's more out there than just America First and just defending against threats. I think that there's um, there's survive, or there's thriving, you know, beyond. Um, beyond that so yeah we disagree obviously but um, it is what it is you know like uh, I'm going to continue to write music and live life and sort of that mentality of like how is this going to how can we make this more beautiful
0: than that I think so that's great Uh, and what's interesting also about another parallel on the on the innovation front um, uh, a colleague a friend of mine uh, co-wrote a book called Outsmart Your Instincts and it's hmm. about like removing cognitive bias in the innovation right, space. Yeah. But the argument mm-hmm. is uh, basically these biases that we've cultivated, they were from an evolutionary standpoint, they are what got us to survive as long as we have. Right. Right. Yeah. for sure. But, but now the complex problems that we're facing, uh, we, we, we basically need to outsmart or outpace our, our DNA because the cognitive biases that help to survive aren't, what's going to propel us forward. But it's so it's, it's interesting when you were, you were talking about that as well, is like in many ways we are wired to, you know, be protective or fight or flight right?
1: Right. And
0: rather, rather than just take a breath. Is this, is this really a threat, right? It's, it's not, it's not a tiger right. or a lion in the Savannah. It is, <laughs> it's somebody who yeah. who who budged in line to use a phrase when I was a kid. Right, like, but you're so incensed if somebody like cuts you off in traffic, but it's they're not right. trying to kill you.
1: And I think, um, I think we like, I, I, I think we like, I, I think we still need those people, but the the mindset shift, I think. So like, I'm a big fan of the Enneagram app. It's like it's a person into I could talk for a long time. part of their like core instinct is like anxiety. It seems counterintuitive that it's like, oh, we think of anxiety as a bad thing, but it's just like that survival thing. It's like, they're analyzing, like, how could this go wrong? What are the risks and what are, you know, drawbacks? And, you know, like, they always know that. And, like, I like to have somebody like that in my corner. You know what I mean? Like, I like to have somebody that's saying, you know, like, that because I think they have something grounding about them. You know what I mean? Uh, but then, yeah, but I think, yeah, I think we've just like shifted too far that way. Yeah. <laughs> bit, you know what I mean? Like, I think part of that is like part of the growth mindset for that person is also like, okay, am I preventing myself from moving forward because of fear? And that, I think is the question that's in front of us.
0: Thanks. And James, uh, just about every interview, I try to talk to my guests about advice uh, and sometimes it takes forms of what's good advice you received uh, along the way uh, from a mentor. Uh, other times it's advice you wish you would have had. Uh, I, I steal from Austin Kleon, steal like an artist. Like when we're giving advice, we're just talking to our younger self. So it could be a, mm-hmm. a combo, but what's good advice you have received or what's advice you might have for, for other people on their creative journey?
1: Yeah, um, I guess I'll start with, my advice to my um younger um gosh this is such a good question um i think i would just say to like reassess your notion of freedom (laughs) um i think as a younger person um I would, of course, said like all young people like, oh, yeah, I like make my own decisions and I do my own thing and whatever. But it's kind of just like what we talked about earlier with young people. Sometimes we don't take as much risks because we don't um, for sure footing of like, OK, I'll be fine. You know, I have this like core support or whatever it might be. Um, I think I came up with a lot of like internal trepidation about like, um really doing the things I wanted to do or being the person that I thought I could be kind of like, Oh, I can't pull that off or I can't, you know, that's more this person, not me, that sort of thing. Um, but I think we all have this like internal guide, um, that we like should tune into and embrace. And, and, um, I think my younger self would have benefited from that. Um, and then I think, um, that plays itself out in the way that I write music and um, kind of leads into my next uh, part of advice, Um, which is that like, this is all a process. Like, I think that's what like I've learned from most of my mentors is like every time I think I'm like, Oh, I'm too old or like I shouldn't have failed in that way or whatever, you know, like I just keep getting reminded, like, no like (laughs) this happens over and over and over again there's never going to be this point where you arrive there's never going to be this thing where you you know um where all of a sudden it's like it clicked for me or um i i wrote an album called late bloomer at the start of this pandemic which has been put on hold for the pandemic but it's that exact concept of like I've always viewed myself as a late bloomer. Um, I've always viewed myself as this, you know, and I actually was, you know, like hit puberty in college, late. you know what I mean? Like crazy stuff like that. But I've always had this posture of like, uh, like I'm just not there, not there. Like people are there and I'm, you know, 25, 26, 27, 28, 29, 30, you know, like, and I'm not there. Um, and I, I feel like I'm continually reminded by mentors, by, um, artists that i follow that whatever like you're never going to be there It's not there's no there there is no there as soon as you get there you might hate it you right, I mean? right. then you have to start over you know like or you get there and you realize like oh this isn't my authentic self you know like i'm playing all the shows but i'm not you know this isn't. This doesn't even sound like me anymore whatever it might be so yeah um
0: no i yeah, think I too like I'm what I'm you're wrong. saying it it feels like uh, almost like mental bargaining, like, oh, if I only do this or if I achieve this, then I'll feel better. And right. And even if you do, odds are you won't <laughs> feel better. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And when you were saying that, I was thinking, too, about uh, Simon Sinek has a book called Infinite Game or The Infinite Game and just talks about that different. If you look at life that way. You're you're playing to stay in the game, not win a short-term game. And so, right. they, mm-hmm. like, okay, these are just things that rather than, uh-oh, I, I need to win now or the game's over.
1: Right. And you were in the life design course with yeah. Dan Lerner. Yeah. And Dan Lerner teaches, you know, the science of happiness or science of well-being at right. NYU. And I took a class online during the pandemic. That was the, the same thing, the Yale version of that class. Yeah and what you just what you learn not just from this like we all have this internal knowledge probably that like oh that's not going to make you happy you know like maybe we realize that at some point but like scientifically it is not what makes you happy it's it's presence and it's gratitude and it's like savoring your moments and those sort of things that are like right now enjoying my process are the things that actually bring us well-being um and so in life, for me now, it's just a practice of embracing that, especially especially during the pandemic. It's really hard to embrace that. Like I'm yeah. continually looking like one day, one day, one day, instead of like trying to like really embrace like okay, my time with my kids and my and my wife. You know, like if I can really savor that and have gratitude for that, that's what's going to bring me happiness and what's going to bring me well-being which i think is a much better deeper word than that and dan uses that he's just like yeah. i call it happiness because it gets it gets people in the door <laughs> right. it's really well-being you know because well-being yep. incorporates all that grief and stress and you know all that stuff of the pandemic as well into like real joy you know um so yeah i uh, i think that's advice that i'm continually trying to embrace and just keep stumbling over um, it's like have a little grace and humility with yourself and like keep writing and keep playing and keep creating and and being hopefully like James Baldwin, a deeper, truer, wider, more narrow version of the story that you were made to tell.
0: That's great. James, thank you so much for joining me on the podcast. It was an absolute pleasure and honor to get to yeah, talk with you today.
1: It was my it was my pleasure for sure. <laughs> to be afraid